Hey friends, we're back with another season, and with it, another series of mini-sodes. To catch up new listeners, between every one of our regular monthly episodes, we release a little deep dive, getting into the real nitty-gritty about some corner of this living planet. But in order to hear them, we ask that you help us make this whole thing go, public radio style. We give these bonus episodes to everyone who supports the show on Patreon for just $1 or more. If you like what we do and you want to see it grow, join our community at patreon.com slash future ecologies. Besides all of these bonus minis, we say thanks by way of stickers, patches, a community discord, and more. Just to give you a sense of what you might be missing out on, we're releasing this first episode of the series for free. This time around, we're back in the water, and we're getting to know some of the most prolific primary producers of our oceans. We're going beyond kelp worlds to meet the rest of our seaweed sojourners. And with us on this journey is our guest co-host, Josie Islin. I'm here in San Francisco. I have written a number of books about the marine algae of our Pacific coast, and the latest one is called The Curious World of Seaweed. Today, we're taking a few pages out of that book and stepping into a world of color, of light, and shadow. Our first algal introduction is a stunning seaweed, known to some as rainbow leaf. Rainbow leaf is not a very common, common name for Maziella. There are so many seaweeds that really we do refer to by their common name, like bull kelp and giant kelp and nori. Now with Maziella, I was looking around for a common name and I found only one reference to rainbow leaf. And that was by Louis Drool and Bridget Clarkston, who wrote a wonderful book on the Pacific Coast seaweeds. And the thing about common names is that if there isn't one, you, you, you can make one up. That's what happens and how the common names start. Since more people know this seaweed by its Latin name, we'll just stick with that. This is Maziella. And you might think it's got to be pretty rare, right? To not have a more common, common name? No, it's actually a very common seaweed. You can find different species of Maziella up and down the Pacific coast, from Alaska to Mexico. One of the most common, Maziella splendens, is a pretty simple-looking alga. Picture a big, smooth, wavy blade, kind of like a, a giant noodle of lasagna. It's tough, thick, and stretchy. And if you want to find it, you don't even need a wetsuit. I first encountered it on the Duxbury Reef. I was taking a course in intertidal ecology, and everyone in the course was scurrying around looking at the invertebrates. The teacher is a wonderful woman who is a nudibranch expert, uh, so she was very keen on finding the nudibranchs, and there were starfish and crabs, and I was like, but wait a second, we're not talking about what we're seeing the most of here, which is the algae. And I happened to hold up a scrap of Maziella, and it was this incredible deep purple color. And I was like, whoa. But this deep purple is just the beginning. Maziella has this cool double life in terms of its color. 
Masiella is from a category of algae known as the red seaweeds. When it's fresh, it can confusingly present anywhere from burgundy to yellow-green. But when it dries out, it transforms. The red seaweeds tend to dry into these very intense colors. Magenta for some seaweeds, but for the Masiella, it dries this very intense. It's just plain purple. It's royal purple. The color of dry Masiella resembles the Tyrian purple of antiquity, which, as it happens, is another product of the sea. The robes of the exceedingly wealthy were dyed by the secretions of a spiny mollusk, a sea snail from the genus Murex. Interestingly, that famous purple wasn't delivered directly from the snail. The color only achieved its full vibrancy once the fabric was exposed to the sun. But getting back to seaweed, there's a good reason Masiella is sometimes called rainbow leaf. When you encounter the Masiella in the tide pools, where it's underwater but it's near the surface, and the sun is interacting with its surface through water, oh my gosh, it glows this incredible rainbow of colors. Uh, it can have this metallic blue and this incredible iridescent quality to it. In the shallow water, it shimmers this beautiful metallic rainbow, a bit like an oil slick, or if you prefer, the shell of an abalone. And this relates to the fact that it is in this zone of the intertidal where there's lots of invertebrate activity. There's lots of snails, there are limpets, and these snails and limpets and other invertebrates eat the algae. That's what they do. They chomp away. And so this particular algae, the Masiella, has developed a defense against that herbivory. Masiella's adaptation isn't to become toxic or to grow thorns. Its defense is its rubbery lasagna noodliness. The blades of Masiella are thick with layer upon layer of cells. And these layers are similar to the layers of nacre that are put down by an abalone when it's building its shell. It's providing a kind of armor. And it's the sunlight bouncing and refracting through all of those layers that's the reason behind Mother of Pearl and Masiella's characteristic iridescence. But unlike abalone, rainbow leaf shimmers only so long as it's still fresh, its cells full of water, its blade in the sun. Not that long ago in Fort Bragg, I was looking at a leaf of it, or a frond, as we should say. It's not a leaf. It's a, it's a blade. And there was this marking of this perfect spiral. It was clearly the path of a snail that had been eating the Masiella. And it had had a fantastic three-course dinner and then filled up and gone ahead. But it hadn't actually gotten all the way through the frond and thus put it in danger of maybe even breaking off or something like that. So that was like, oh yeah, this is why it has all those exterior layers and it gives us this incidental beauty. While its namesake rainbow doesn't actually seem to matter to rainbow leaf, color itself is pivotal to being a seaweed. This deep purple that it presents is derived from the accessory pigments that are in its chloroplasts. And so the seaweeds are categorized into three groups by color. 
And those color groups are the greens, which have just chlorophyll, A and B in their chloroplasts, the browns, which have an accessory brown pigment in their chloroplasts, and then the reds, which have two accessory pigments, a blue pigment and a red pigment in their chloroplasts, along with the chlorophyll A. So the red and the blue accessory pigments combine together to present this incredible purple color in Mazziella. And in the red seaweeds in general, they combine in different ways to give us this array of red color from light pink to deep magenta to deep purple, almost to black in some of the red seaweeds. These accessory pigments are testament to the ingenuity of the seaweeds. These red seaweeds have had to figure out how do we capture photons from different wavelengths of light that penetrate the ocean waters? Now, us humans and the plants on land are really used to daylight. And daylight is very heavy in the red spectrum. Our leaves developed chlorophyll to collect those photons in the red spectrum of light and then reflect back the green to us. Uh, and that's why our world is generally green in terms of the primary producers, the photosynthesizers, because our daylight is predominantly red. In other words, the color that we think of as synonymous with nature, the greenery of life on Earth, is just the light that most plants don't want or need. But in the ocean, those long red wavelengths are quickly absorbed by the density of water. So the seaweeds had to figure out how do we photosynthesize in, in our world, and the red and the blue accessory pigments are very good at collecting the blue and the green spectrum of the light that penetrates the ocean. These accessory pigments don't themselves perform photosynthesis. That's still the job of the same old green chlorophyll A. The red and blue pigments instead act as funnels, collecting and transferring short wavelength light into the photosynthetic pathway, where the energy of the photons is transformed into metabolic growth. Into sugars and algal growth. Unlike plants, who generally keep their chlorophyll in their leaves or other specialized structures, algae are pigmented all over. Every cell in the seaweed body contains chloroplasts and is capable of photosynthesis. And although seaweed taxonomy has historically been pretty stormy, the division of these three major color groups has been an island of stability, dating back to the 1830s. Our understanding of these three color groups really began with a wonderful Irishman named William Henry Harvey. And he had spent a lot of time looking at the spores of the seaweeds that he was encountering. And he realized that while the seaweeds themselves present this incredible array of color, their spores were really falling into these three color groups and were really these little circles of supercolor that fell into a brown group, a green group, and a red group. The names have changed slightly since then, but today we know the greens as chlorophyta, the reds as rhodophyta, and the shadowy browns as phaophyta, after the Greek for dusk or twilight. What's fantastic about William Henry Harvey and this taxonomic breakdown he made was that it still holds strong today, and these are 
the evolutionary lines. So it is those pigments that delineate the seaweeds into this evolutionary tracts that are very distinct from each other. I mean, these three groups of seaweeds are not related. I mean, they go way, way back uh, to the very first cyanobacteria. It wasn't long before William Henry Harvey's work caught the attention of a contemporary, an avid botanist and seaweed collector named Anna Atkins. When the William Henry Harvey volume came out describing the seaweeds that was what she was collecting, she was so dismayed because there were no pictures. They were just the descriptions. And so she took it upon herself to say, I want to illustrate this volume. I want to illustrate the seaweeds that I'm collecting and connect them with their particular names so that we can know what it is and we can learn about this world of the seaweeds. Anna Atkins just so happened to be at the center of the nascent art and science of photography. A chemical process called cyanotype printing had only just been invented by her friend, Sir John Herschel. Requiring neither camera nor lens, cyanotyping is a contact printing photonegative process. Or in other words, it's a shadow. Just like the pigment of the murex snail, the chemistry of cyanotype comes alive in the sunlight. The more sun, the more vivid the color. A bright Prussian blue. And any object covering the paper will have its shadow preserved forever. The cyanotype process was originally conceived for duplicating documents, which would come to be known as blueprints. But Anna Atkins realized it had much more potential. She collected seaweeds, named them according to William Henry Harvey's Manual of the British Algae, and laid them directly on sensitized sheets of paper in the sun. So she did that 13 times for each specimen because she made 13 copies of this book. It's a very small run, but it is a published volume and is really acknowledged now as the very first photographically illustrated book. In that tradition, Josie decided to honor Anna Atkins by making her own seaweed cyanotypes. I like this nature printing technique because it really walks this line between scientific illustration and art making. Because I feel like it allows a particular specimen to speak for itself. It's a portrait in that it's not an illustration where you make a kind of idealized version or you, you know, will not include that blemish on the apple or the mold on the leaf or what have you. It lets each of these organisms speak for themselves. Speaking not in words, but in the light that the seaweeds soak up to live and the light that remains in their shadow. As an artist, I realize that luminosity and transparency has been a theme in my work going way back to my undergraduate days. So when the seaweeds presented themselves to me as these luminous organisms where the light not only plays through them, but creates this incredible array of color, and that color is so foundational to their existence and to their ability to grow and to photosynthesize, and my process of using what's called the transparency adapter of my scanner to capture that luminosity by pushing light 
through the specimen. All these elements came together and just feels right. If you want to see a few examples, head to our Instagram at Future Ecologies. But to get the whole picture, you'll need to pick up a copy of Josie's book, The Curious World of Seaweed. As I've experimented more with combining my luminous scans with either the historical element of cyanotype, or I've also made a whole other series of images where my scan is layered on top of a historical taxonomic illustration. That ability to have the contemporary scan work in dialogue with this imagery from the past that speaks perhaps to our trying to to better understand the seaweeds through taxonomy and that kind of exploration, that dialogue with the past creates this kind of vector through time for me, where the past is in conversation with the present, but that vector always is pointing out towards the future. There's an arrow on a vector. And so there's this underlying question about where will these organisms be in the future that kind of undergirds all of this work, all of this conversation. The red algae, and Maziella among them, are the oldest lineage of seaweeds, dating back over 1.2 billion years. Their pigments evolved to transform light into life in the depths of the ocean. But as the arrow of time flies ever forward, and the paths of algae, animals, and others intertwine, I hope you might someday encounter a glimmering, incidental beauty in the intertidal. Maziella is just the first seaweed that we'll meet this season. Support the show and catch the rest at patreon.com slash future ecologies. If you want to read ahead, learn even more, and enjoy lots of stunning visuals, treat yourself to a copy of The Curious World of Seaweed by Josie Islin. This bonus mini-episode was produced by me, Mendel Skolski, with help from Adam Huggins, and music by Scott Gailey, Sunfish Moonlight, Anner Andros, and X-Ray. Special thanks to Josie and the great folks at Heyday Books. See you next time.